0: Hello and welcome to the Motormouth podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We also want to let you know that you can now join our patron programme. It starts from £5 a month to £10 or £20, depending on uh, what you want. Each tier allows you slightly different levels of access. Uh, Depending on which one you choose, you can enjoy early access to podcast episodes, exclusive member benefits, merchandise, shoutouts and your chance to feature on one of our shows any support you can give us is massively appreciated and will help us grow and continue to bring cool content to race fans all over the world Uh, you can find the link on our socials just search for motormouth or go to patreon.com Don't forget to like and subscribe and you can also leave us a review, download the Motormouth app where you can get live race times, exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy.
2: Welcome to episode 19 of the Motormouth podcast, alongside me as always with his dulcet tones and manicured facial hair, it's Mr Harry Benjamin, how are you? Hello, hello. Um, I'm okay. I'm still in my cupboard. I'm still in lockdown, but spirits are high. Good, good. I, I, I would usually ask what you've been up to, but to be honest, you've probably been up to a whole lot of nothing.
0: Well, I'll have you know, I've been moving the furniture around in my house because you know what they say, a cluttered house is a cluttered mind. Is it messing um, with your feng shui? I, I've now, the fact that I've now, uh, yes... Um, remove things about
2: I feel like I can actually be a bit more productive A healthy brain, good. Well look, shall I introduce today's guest? Go on then So once again we're recording remotely and we're joined by yet another top, top racing driver. Sebastian Buemi is currently racing in Formula E and is one of the championship's most successful drivers. The man from Switzerland is a championship winner with more wins than any other driver He began racing in karts and then on to the German Formula BMW Championship in 2004 claiming third in his debut season, and it'd be 2009 before he'd make his first Formula One appearance via Formula 3 Euro Series and GP2. Like one of our pre- previous guests, Brendan Hartley, he caught the attention of Torre Rosso to make him a full blown Formula One racer. As we know, he now makes a living racing in Formula E alongside teammate Oliver Rowland, but also competes in the World Endurance Championship with Toyota, where he's a championship winner and can add the famous Le Mans 24-hour race to his list of growing accomplishments. Ladies and gentlemen, a big motormouth welcome to Sebastian Buemi. Sebastian welcome to the podcast how are you doing
3: yeah good good and you
2: very well thank you where are you joining us from today you've got a, a collection of uh, cars and a cabinet and trophies behind you are you at home where where have we found you
3: I'm, I'm at home yeah I just moved house uh, something like six months ago so uh, I'm finally getting everything together and it was kind of a good opportunity uh you know by staying home but uh, no i'm I'm good I'm at home trying to take the positive out of this uh, you know situation but so far so good
0: and you've got two kids as well are you doing a bit of homeschooling
3: yeah yeah the the small one is obviously still a bit small but uh, the bigger one yeah we, we're doing so it's not uh not so easy but uh, <laughs> you know, we, we're trying to, to do the best we can
2: how well, old are your kids
3: uh, four and two
2: four and two i've so got the, same as me i've got a two-year-old and a soon to be five-year-old and um they're both boy, both hyperactive boys, and keeping them amused in a in a house during lockdown is not easy at all. So I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually,
0: I, I saw Seb on your uh, on your Twitter. I think that you did a sort of almost assault course with your with your yeah. two kids around your house, which looked like it was a good way to kill the time.
3: <laughs> yeah, trying to kill the time the best we can. So some days are better than some others, but today it's good weather outside. So trying to spend some time outside as much as we can
0: well let's uh, let's talk about you and your and your racing career and uh, and your life so far so let's well like we do with all our guests we like to take it right back to uh, to the beginning and uh, and how it started for you what was the the thing in your in your mind which said yes i want to be a racing driver when did that start
3: well, it started pretty early. Um, I, I basically got uh, a go kart for Christmas from my dad when I was just turning uh, five years old. So um, yeah, I can't I can't remember so much. I I do remember that Christmas when I got the the go kart, but then from from there on, you know, I I don't remember my life without go karts or racing. So somehow it was kind of obvious from the beginning that I wanted to become a professional uh, racing driver but back then you know you are full of uh, motivation and you think it's going to be easy and as you grow you you understand it's a bit more complex than, than you initially thought was,
2: was there motorsport in the family already
3: my, my grandfather did le mans in 1960 um, from my mother's side and uh, obviously my parents i have a dealership since um, 40 years so um somehow you know i was kind of uh, already a little bit in it from the beginning but but yeah um my dad did not race uh himself so um so it kind of jumped uh, a generation but still you know i i i always wanted to be a racing driver from the beginning and my fa- my, my dad was a big fan so so somehow it started pretty uh, naturally
0: so was it general racing or was formula one the dream
3: Formula One. You know, as a a kid, you watch Formula One with your dad uh, on a Sunday. You know, I remember waking up with him and they had the race in Australia and and watching it at at six in the morning. Uh, It was always a dream, but unfortunately, you know, sometimes you you don't realize how difficult it actually is. Mm. And it's kind of good because otherwise you might not even try. You know, and then and then obviously we enjoyed. We spent lots of weekends, you know, with the family—my brother, my mother, my dad. Uh, you know, going on on go kart circuit with the camping car and just staying there and sleeping there, and we we, we enjoyed the time as well. But uh, back then, I did not realize, you know, how how complex it would be. And go kart went pretty well. I won lots of races and championships. So somehow, you know, uh, it 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 went quite quite good.
2: Did you did you when you got in the coke the go-kart for the first time in a competitive race were you immediately on the pace and thought yes you know th- this is something I'm clearly good at or did it take you a bit of time to start getting those wins and podiums
3: I, I think the first year I didn't I didn't win in a races but I was something like seven and a half and I was competing against guys that were 11 to 12 years old 10 10, 10 11 years old so back then it's it's Pretty difficult, but the second year when I was eight, eight and a half, I started winning lots of races. So, um, I, I, you know, I would say it took a year. Also, because my dad was my mechanic, so we had to learn lots of small things. You know, that makes a difference. But uh, um, I would say yeah, the second year when I turned eight, I, I started winning quite a lot of races from there on.
2: So at this point, it's your dad is your mechanic. Who who yeah. is he also guiding you through these early years? So when you leave karting and you start thinking about where to go next, is it your dad who's the the main driver here in terms of finding your next race seat?
3: Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, we always discuss it together. You know, pretty early on, I was really aware of the situation financially and what we could do and not do. We took the decision together to do the Formula BMW because we thought at the time that it was the best platform, you know. Uh, When I moved there in 2004, it was one of the best championships for the 14 and a half years old, you know. I was just not, just turning 15 or not yet 15 and it was one of the first championships you could do at that age. So so then obviously, you know, I, I raced with Vettel back then, Hülkenberg, those guys, you know, that were good in go-karts. So, trying to find the same platform and compete against the same guys again. And then, um, and then, very early in, 20, in 2004, I got the, the call from Red Bull, and, and obviously, uh, uh, Red Bull decided to to sign me on. And 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 then that was a very crucial part because I knew that I wouldn't be able to compete in in Formula BMW. Or, more than one season so I had to somehow somehow find someone that would finance it. Was it a lifeline at the time or were you able to keep progressing up the ranks in in motorsport? Uh, To be honest that was my first year in motorsport so my first year in Formula BMW and pretty early I had very good results like I had pole positions in front of Betel that was obviously in, in his second year and because Red Bull back then had something like three or four athletes in, in, in the category, they were obviously looking at, at the other guys. And I was the youngest. So somehow, you know, I, I don't think back then it was a big risk for Red Bull to, to take me on. And for me, it was a big, uh, a big opportunity because I knew that if I would compete properly and I would win, I knew I would have the opportunity to go up to Formula One, you know, and I would be placed in a, in a decent team where I could obviously de- deliver. So, so it was not every day easy, but let's say I knew that if the performance was there, I would get the opportunity, which it's not always the case when you, you look at uh, some other careers.
0: And that opportunity did eventually come about. So when did that first Formula One uh, chance come?
3: Um, I think my first test was 2007. Uh, I was winning lots of races in Formula Three Euro Series. I had to replace um, a Red Bull driver in GP two. Yeah, he had broken his wrist. Uh, I'm Müller, and I basically uh, did very well in my first race. I didn't know Monaco. I didn't know the car, and I qualified on the second row, finished in the points, and, and clearly that that was kind of crucial because it gave me directly the opportunity to get a a Formula One test. And then I became the reserve driver in 2008, and I ended up racing in 2009. So somehow it all went quite smoothly, let's say.
2: How, how did it feel getting into a Formula One car that first time? Obviously, you, you've raced in GP2. Um, you've had some good wins there. Um, even one where I think I read you came back from 21st on the grid in France to to, uh, to win on a drying track. But stepping into a Formula One car for the first time, try and tell us how that felt when you started turning wheels and feeling the forces, the brakes, the acceleration. Was was it like nothing you've experienced before in a car? Oh,
3: it's, it's pretty special because I do remember that first test very well. You know I was in Spain and the first time they turn up the the engine you know it was not yet a hybrid engine it was a normal um, v8 engine and, and and it's pretty shocking the, you know when you sit in the car and you hear the engine and then you you pull out of the garage and you 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 wanna you want to upshift so quickly but the engine back mm-hmm. then were revving up to 20,000 rpm so I think the first time you upshift you don't even see the first lights you know you, you're not even <laughs> yeah. a 15,000 RPM, you, you're already thinking you need to upshift, but you know, it was a pretty emotional day as well, you know, because somehow it feels like, okay, I've done part of my dream, which was to obviously compete in, in Formula 1, I mean drive in Formula 1 Yeah. and then and then you you directly think about the next one, you don't want to get out, you know you want to drive again the car and in terms of perf- performances, it's pretty impressive because everything feels so good, you know so much better than anything else you've experienced before you know the vibrations are gone the the creep is amazing every everything's just better and and a lot better than anything else you've ever driven so It's it's a nice opportunity to to get to drive those cars,
2: and and that must have been a very emotional moment for your family and your father as well. Having bought you that first car, been your mechanic, and by your side all this time to see you take to the track in a Formula One car it must have been a very emotional moment for for him as well.
3: Yes, yes, it was actually at that first test. You know, it was a a narrow test, so it was it was not there. But at my second test, it was a proper test on the racetrack, and and there he was. But yeah, because you know. Now that I have kids, I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking, would I do the same than, than what he did for me? Would I would I be actually ready to sacrifice so yeah. much? And it's I'm asking this question all the time, you know, because it's pretty crazy what, what they did. I mean, many, many parents, when you listen to the stories of their kids, they did lots of sacrifices. But, yeah. you know, knowing in the situation we were, to to go all in like this, you know, he sold a lot of things that he had. You know, we, we we he sold all the cars that he had. He sold everything, and he told me, "Okay, we're gonna do one year. If if you don't perform, if we don't get results, that that's gonna be it." You know. So then, to to finally make it there, it's I think it's pretty emotional for everyone in the family, including you know my brother, uh, my, my my mother, everyone. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 a big commitment parents make. We were talking to Brendan Hartley um last week and uh he was telling us how his parents, um, at sixteen years old um put him on an airplane to the uk to or to europe to germany to to start his uh european racing career and he was thinking now as an adult what were they thinking like uh, me as a parent now thinking god you know to send your kid off to the other side of the world to to embark on a racing career that's going to cost you millions of pounds for the rest of your life is uh is an amazing thing to do so um yeah, yeah. i
3: remember when he came to europe actually because um uh... He came to Europe to do a Red Bull test in, in Estoril in Portugal, and I was I was the reference driver. You know, uh, Helmut wanted me to do a, a lap in each car in like Formula Renault, Formula Three, and those new guys that were not yet Red Bull drivers, they were basically assessed against me. So I remember exactly the first the first time I saw him, and I think he just came from New Zealand. That was yeah. his first trip to Europe. So
0: did you wonder did you see what him first or his hair
3: first?
2: Yeah, he's going to say his hair is something else.
3: I think. Yeah, but I think back then when he really came, it was not as bad as it got. You know, <laughs> it got a lot worse later on. Yeah, <laughs> he
2: he told us to give you a hard time, so um, we'll we'll make sure we throw in a couple of difficult questions on his behalf.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now that your test, there's there's you know, you're testing and, and being a reserve for for Red Bull and to- Toro Rosso. Then that Toro Rosso seat comes about in two thousand and nine. That's you know what that must change everything because there's one thing that's testing the cars and now. You you are a confirmed racing driver um, for, for the 2009 season. How, what's your mentality going into that? Did you feel the pressure because you know a lot is made of, of the Red Bull driver program and, and Helmet Marco? How are you dealing with all that, and what's your relationship like with Helmet?
3: Well, it's pretty it's pretty good. You know, I know mm. him now since I'm 14, so more than half of my year of my yeah. of my life. Uh, yeah, I know him since 17 years, 16, 17 years now. And uh, no, we, you know, I never had any any problem with him. It was always pretty straightforward. And I was really thankful to, to Red Bull in general uh, for giving me the, the opportunity. I knew, you know, I had to perform. And, and the first year went actually very well because I scored points. In, in my first race, I scored very well at the end of the year. Bourdais he was obviously a very good driver as my teammate, you know, a lot older than me. And I did, you know, perform much better than him. So let's say my first year went, went very well. And also from time to time, you know, back then we had, um, we could obviously copy the Red Bull car. Uh, it was allowed. And uh, we were obviously very much behind in terms of, of copying because we, back then the double diffuser, Came, came on and we didn't have the money to obviously do it directly. But once I had a pretty similar car, not exactly the same one, we were able to obviously uh, perform and be always in Q3. So the first year went very well, you know. It, it became a lot harder after when the, re- the regulation changed and Tor Rosso, which was not really a proper manufacturer, had to step up and become a proper factory. It, it, it became more difficult in, in the second season. But the first season went well and uh, honestly... I was quite relaxed. Obviously, I wanted to do well. And the mm-hmm. first race is always something special. You get to Australia and you're going to play big for the first time. You know, it's no testing. It's, it's really for real. And it's not so easy. But I, I did enjoy very much my time back then. And uh, I tried to, you know... Uh, Think about it this way, and with Helmut, it was always pretty good.
0: No, and that's probably you know you, you get you get you get your shot in Formula One. I suppose it's what everyone dreams of, and not everyone gets that dream. And and you're in Formula One until the end of 2011. How was that final season with Toro Rosso? Obviously, it was you know a really big midfield battle during those years with the likes of Force India and Sauber. How did you see that final season, and and was this, could you see the end coming?
3: To be honest, I. The last season, it's, it's, it's my best season just because uh, we, we, we didn't see it really in the results. But the last four races, I was constantly in the points and I had only mechanical failures. I had an engine failure in, in, in India while I was running seventh. I had an hydraulic issue in Abu Dhabi while I was running sixth. And I think I lost a wheel in Suzuka uh, while I was P-8. So it, it could have looked really strong, and I, I mean, for back then, because I would have constantly been between P6 and P9 in last four races, and mm. somehow I always retired. And three-quarters of the job was, was back then done. So, you know, back then they had kind of let me think that it was going to continue, and I was, I was not happy with all the, the bad luck I had, but I was mm. quite confident it would continue. Then obviously things changed. And, and i have to to accept and and move on so to to, to be honest uh, a bit disappointed by because i felt like i i deserve to to, to have those results towards the end of the season where when most of the job was done you know once you stop for the second time and you fuel to finish you know it's more like the race is done and mm-hmm. it, it was hard not to get those results but you know, sometimes in life, things like that happen and you, you have to, to, to move on. And then uh, and obviously, pretty quickly, I moved to WEC and then Formula E. Yeah,
2: and, and WEC obviously has been a, um, a tremendous success for you. Um, you've seen a lot of success with Toyota, uh, two-time champion and a Le Mans winner. How did the WEC seat come about? And, and that must have been a, a hugely uh, pleasing period of your career.
3: To be honest, uh, not so many people know, but back in 2009, I was obviously Red Bull was aware, but I was discussing with Toyota to join the Formula One team after my, my first season in um, in Toro Rosso.
2: Right. Ah.
3: And to be honest, it was not it was pretty close before they decided to, to stop Formula One. I, I was pretty confident I would be driving there, to, to, to be honest. So, um, I knew the people from the from the team very well. You know, I had a few meetings with them, and obviously the people deciding, I, I knew them. You know, and uh, Pascal Vasselon back then was a technical director. I had a few, a lot of discussion with him, obviously about joining the team. And then they stopped Formula One, and they those people stayed in the team. You know, so when they managed to get the um, the WEC program going, obviously. Is one of the first guys I, I, I gave a call to. I knew I would re- remain as a reserve driver for Red Bull, and, and obviously I, I gave him a call, and, and he offered me a seat directly. You know, wow. So, so back then, the problem was that Toyota was not completely committed to WEC. Uh, we started with one car, then obviously we, we, we would have two cars in Le Mans, so I was in the second car, because uh, the first three drivers were already signed. Um, and then and then obviously they stepped up massively because the next year they came with two cars for the whole championship and then somehow, you know, it became a very important program within Toyota and, and then obviously they stayed there since now 2012, so it's a, a long time now.
0: It also seems like since, since you joined in, in 2012, obviously Weck and, and Le Mans has, has been around, you know, in, in various guises for, for years. But in terms of sort of general awareness and perhaps TV coverage, it really seems to amped up since, since 2012. How was it for you? Did you have to sort of retrain your mind with joining Weck after F1? Or, or you know, were you talking to Brendan as well, obviously driving for, for Porsche um, back in uh, for WBC? And he said, you know, it, it, it operates at the exact same high
3: level yeah, so to, to, to be honest, um, back then, um, Toyota had been out of Formula One for two years only. Mm. So, the, somehow, obviously the technology would have had improved a little bit over those, those two years, but the way they were operating was very similar to what they were doing back in Formula One. Uh, so. For me, I didn't, back then, I didn't see a big difference between, between them and, and what I knew at, the, at the tour. also, you know. They were even a bigger team than what I had at tour. also in, in, in Formula One. So mm-hmm. to, to, to be honest, they operated at a very high level. And then with Audi and Porsche joining, you can imagine that they were spending lots of money in terms of marketing. So they were inviting lots of journalists to the races. And somehow that basically helped massively the work to get more exposure. And also 2012 is the first year of the World Championship being mm-hmm. back. So for everyone, it's much easier to sell that you're going to race in the World Championship than what it was before, the ELMS, uh, ILMS, I don't know how they called it back then, but it was very complex and, and not easy to understand. And, and yeah, I think it was kind of a golden years for, for the WEC because they, they had three big manufacturers, uh, at some point, we even had Nissan joining the, the the fight, so it was was very big, you know. And uh, and clearly, I think more people heard about the WEC than they did before, mm. just because of that.
0: And how do you see the WEC now and going forward? Because obviously, there's a lot of changes technically with the regulations and the LMP ones and the hypercars. How do you see it going forward in the next few years?
3: Uh, to be honest, now with what's happening with the coronavirus, I, I don't really know because things may change, you know, mm-hmm. big manufacturer may reassess their um, decisions. they might change idea. I, I don't know. But to be honest, obviously, we had the good years where people were willing to spend lots of money and the cars were pretty amazing because back then, just before the Formula One cars went to the big tires and everything, we were very close to them in terms of lap time. Yeah. So it was pretty impressive. Obviously, now they are, mm-hmm. again, much faster. But how I see it, I think um, some good people are are running it, you know, they have some good ideas and I think if they manage to communicate in the next few days, few weeks, the convergence with IMSA, you know, the American championship that if you have a car, you can compete in both championship with the regulation. We now know, I think that the budget, the operating budget will be quite low and low in in a certain way, but, (laughs) I think you will interest uh, a lot of new brands, and I think it could well be very good within the next two years. I think it's going to take a bit of time, because first of all, the regulation to come into place, and before 2022 it's going to be difficult, this we know. But I see a pretty good future for the work from 2022 onwards, let's
2: say. And you've, you've obviously, uh, jumping forward a little bit, you are a winner of the famous Le Mans 24-hour race. You're also a world champion in the World Endurance Championship. Two massive highlights of your career. Can you put one on top of the other or um, is winning the championship the, the one that stands out for you or perhaps standing at the top of the podium at the Le Mans 24-hour takes it for you? What, what's been your highlight in your WEC career?
3: But to be honest, I think at the end it's pretty clear for me that it is Le Mans. I tell you why because uh, championship I won it with um, Davidson, Anthony in 2014, um, and it was only my second full season in the WEC. You know, somehow okay, it was always difficult, and Porsche and Audi were already there. But we, I wouldn't say we won it easily, but we we basically won it well. Le Mans, it took a long time. It took like six, seven, I don't know, many attempts. And after what happened in 2016, where we had this issue in the last lap, you know, we we had done an amazing race and we were beating Porsche, Audi, everyone basically. And we we had this issue in the last lap. It was so hard to accept. And and then we came back in 17 again, leading and I mean, being very good. And again, we had an issue. And then finally in 18, we, we won it. So I think because of what happened in the past, Lemo is a bigger, for me uh, personally, a bigger achievement just because I went through lots of tough moments there.
0: Yeah, it, it made you work for it. <laughs>
3: yes, yeah, Properly, Yeah. yeah. Um, but then
0: in 2014, Formula E comes about. Um, now, talk us through your journey uh, into finding out what that was You know, this all-electric racing championship I know it's been discussed left, right and centre How people thought it would be, you know, absolutely terrible Who's going to, you know, what's this electric F1? No, I don't want to see any of that um, But you've been in it from the very beginning what, what's, what's your take on it? It, it? it has progressed massively, especially in the last couple of years You obviously started out with Renault e-Dems It's now turned into Nissan um, Talk us through your journey and, and into Formula E
3: but to be to be honest, I joined Formula E more because I wanted to join uh, Jean-Paul Drio, you know, the owner of dance. I was mm. a very good friend of him since a long time because I, I knew mm. him since 2005, so for, for more or less 10 years. And we always said, okay, if one day we, we, we can do something together, we, we will do it. So b- back then, you know, I obviously looked at the car and looked at what it was going to be, but I was just happy to to join the team. I wanted to work with him more than initially. I wanted to be part of uh, of Formula E, and then and then of course things went very well and the championship grew. I think the championship's been quite lucky to be honest with what happened politically, the diesel gate, and, and all the manufacturer joining, mm. um, the technology. Has, has, has improved quite a lot the speed of the cars everything has improved but it's not like day and night compared to to season one uh, well, what's clear is basically that it, it has earned its place on the Motorsport planet you know and people respect formula E much more than they did in the past so i i think uh, i was i was quite lucky to be joining uh, such a good team from from the beginning. Already
2: and you're you are uh, officially the most successful formula e driver out there right you've won more races more polls and so on um what's your secret is is there a, a style that you've adapted to 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 do so well in formula e or do you think you you just the, the way you drove um suited that series
3: well i think it, it suited the car from the beginning because from the first test onwards i was i was quick but you know people tend to forget that it's not only down to the driver, it's down to to the team, to the engineers, to to, to everyone involved. And if you look, you know, in season three, I won six races, but had to miss two races because of a wet clash and I lost the championship. And last year I won just one race. and The year before I didn't win any race. So the problem is you need to grab the opportunity while it's there. And Changes from year to year. Sometimes you have the material and the, let's say the, the the package to to win. Sometimes not. And I think that, you know, I don't consider myself like people would do like oh, yeah, I am, much uh, much better. That's why I won all those races. I won those races because I had a good team and it worked well together. And now it's a bit more difficult. We 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 did we had a very strong end to last season. When we finally finished second, I finished second in the championship where I was still P13th after a few races. So, yeah, I just want to highlight the fact that it's uh, it's uh, teamwork, you know, and you don't win just because you're a better driver.
2: That's very, very, um, very humble of you. Um, but um, I'm sure your team will be very, very pleased to hear that. Um, and yes, certainly your, your comeback um, in season five was... was Probably unexpected even for you, I'd imagine, after the start of the season, uh, not going according to plan, then to come back and finish the championship in second place. um, That must have been pleasing.
3: Yeah, it was a kind of relief um, because first of all, I wanted to get that win since a long time and I wanted to get it for Jean-Paul. Back then he was in the hospital, not doing good, you know, and uh, he managed to watch the race and watch us win. But it was tough because we were quick. We were always quick. I'm, I'm, if you look at season five, I'm the best qualifier by far. I think I have a starting position average better than P3. And it's by far the, the best one. But somehow, every race, something was happening. Either I was unlucky, I had a technical failure or mistake or, or whatever. Obviously, everybody knows know we, we had a special package with a, a twin motor and it, it was pretty complex to, to get it together. But, but at the end it started to click and, and it's a shame that, you know, I was leading Paris when I got punctured without, without that puncture, I yeah. won the championship. So it's like that, you know, but I'm happy with the the comeback we had because P2 at the end was, uh, was pretty good.
0: Is it, is it nice? Does it make a difference to be a part of a championship from the very beginning?
3: Oh yes and no. I mean, I'm I'm happy to say that I was there from the beginning, but it doesn't really change my my life no. today. So, uh,
0: <laughs> uh, well, here's a the question know. then for you: um, Formula E, Formula One, or WEC? If you had to pick one,
3: um, as a pure fan of motorsport, I would still pick Formula One. Yeah. But as a racing driver, I would pick Formula One only if I had the opportunity to be in a good team. Yeah. yeah. Because to, to be in a team that cannot be better than P10 or P12 or P8, it's, it's great to be doing Formula 1 for a couple of seasons, three seasons, just to experience the fact that you've been in Formula 1. It was your It was your dream. You, you made it. But it, I wouldn't say it becomes boring, but you, you want to be able to win. You know We, we are competitive. I'm, I'm very competitive. And I, I want to get the opportunity to, to fight for, for wins. Mm. And in Formula E, of course, you have better teams and teams that are not so good, but let's say other than maybe two teams, most of them, they, they'll get within the year the opportunity to fight for the win. So you, you can be out of 12 teams, you can be in 10 teams and, and get the opportunity to fight for a win, which is absolutely not the case where, when you are in Formula 1. Yeah. Formula 1, you have maybe maximum four, six cars some years where you can win, and it's, it's nearly... Impossible and all the rest—they just compete for for P, P6 to P10—and mm-hmm. it's it's really difficult to accept. In the WEC, it's a bit somehow the same because when we had Porsche and Audi, and you come to Le Mans and you are two seconds off the pace, you have no chance, no chance. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. over 24 hours, even if you have a better start, they're going to pass you back, and that's mm-hmm. going to be it. So, I, I really enjoy the WEC for the team spirit, for racing in Le Mans, for racing through the night—all those kind of Aspects. I love Formula E for the fact that you get the opportunity to fight at the front and you get the opportunity to win. And I still like Formula One because they are the fastest cars out there, you know, so it's, it's very difficult to pick, pick one up. It depends mm-hmm. on the situation.
2: that's a a good answer you make a fair point Um, now I think it's time um, that uh, Sebastian we put your knowledge to the test we have Mm. a small quiz for you which um, your your friend Brendan Hartley I believe is leading at the moment Um, so I'll pass over to Harry to introduce our famous quiz
0: Yes, this is the Motormouths quiz, Seb. It's notoriously the hardest quiz in motorsport, um, but partly because no one really knows what the correct answer is. Uh, so, uh, Brendan is currently top with 12.5 points. Uh, now, I have got four clips for you, and they are all related to you. Each clip is worth three points. Um, so you've got to answer three questions for me within each one. And then there is a bonus question at the end. So you, if you get everything, you could get 13 points and go to the top. But I'm warning you, it's very, very difficult. <laughs> um, so let's kick off with clip number one. I want you to think about what's happening, where, and anything else.
2: Here it comes.
0: we I'll do a <laughs> was that
3: was that enough i think it's i mean i should be careful but i think it was in, in fuji in toyota when i fell asleep in the car no
0: yes it absolutely is <laughs> so that was oh, yeah. i love that you probably sleep in the car the fuji uh six hours but can you who woke you up can we can we no it wasn't it was anthony <laughs> no but i
3: i it's anthony that yeah, he car. he yes. can the we, car. Can, can, Kamui can does come can, over. Yeah, he comes over. Yeah, yeah. You no, know
0: I'll give you half a but point to, for Kamui. But to be honest, I.
3: Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was asleep. But the the radio check thing is a made up stuff. You know, he didn't talk to me like that. You know? Oh, was he not? Oh, no. Yeah, no, it's just the way putting it together.
0: You know. <laughs> oh, I thought I didn't did think that was too perfect
2: to be true. Yeah.
0: Um, but all right, well, I'll give you two and a half for on that one. Okay, let's move on to clip number two. Have a listen to this. Here it comes.
2: We're riding on board. What happens here is braking towards a hundred meter board. Oh! And both. Yeah.
0: It's your mate cheesy. Anthony again. So what's yeah, happening, China. where and when?
3: china 2010
0: i lose the front wheels in at the end of the straight now yeah but brendan was telling us he, he still takes the mick out of you for that because he had a very similar crash uh, in in yeah. his year at silverstone i think it was that is still yeah. one of the must be one of the biggest crashes in, in terrifying a while in recent history yeah,
3: i don't think it's a big crash it's just a very spectacular one it just looks very dramatic
0: <laughs> the yeah, speed, both, yeah. What,
3: what was your first thought when both wheels came off shit shit <laughs> yeah, to, to, to be honest, you have no time to, to think, you know, I'm still steering if you look at the video, yeah, yes. Even so I have no front wheels, you know, it's kind of uh, nice, you have no time to
0: react. to be honest, Yeah. So. Oh, well, well done. You get a full three points for that, if that makes up for the crash. Um, let's go to clip number three. Here we go.
2: Coming down into turn three, into the left hander, he goes side
0: by side. Oh! So that's, of course, uh, good friend Jack Nichols, Formula E commentary. What is happening there?
3: Turn three goes into. He didn't give me much,
0: huh?
2: We've got him. I think we've got him.
3: So it. Can can I can you replay? One more time. Here we go. Coming down into turn three, into the left hander. He goes side by side.
2: (laughs) I like the scream at the end. (laughs) Side by side, turn three.
3: Ah, yeah, it's London when uh, when Lucas hitted me or, or not.
0: Yes, I, that is yeah. correct. That is, yeah, that was for the fight for the championship. And what yeah. year? Can you give me a year?
3: Yeah, it's when I won it, so I think it's uh, 2016. Absolutely correct. July, yeah. That
0: is a full three points. That has got to be one of the most memorable moments in your career yeah. when that happened. <laughs> Not in a good way. <laughs> are, you, are you and Lucas, uh, do you get on now, or are you sort of, is it colleagues?
3: Well, a bit better. We had some very tough times even after yeah. that. So yeah. now it's, getting, it's getting better, yeah.
0: Good. Okay, good. All right. Okay, so this is the fourth clip. You're doing well. You're doing well. Let's play the fourth clip. Here we go. <laughs> <It's
3: a Sebastian laughs> boy, he's just very lucky,
2: you know. He doesn't know what he's doing. In Beijing, he had no idea what he was doing, but he just did it.
0: <laughs> so uh, what's happening there? Who's talking?
3: I think it's some you're talking. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any idea uh, where you might be or when? I mean, it's after the first race in 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 beijing uh it's either season one or season two but i think it would be season one i crashed lots of times in 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 the first race and the second year i won the i won the race so i don't know if he refers to the first season where i crashed everywhere or if i think or if it's a second season where i won uh, i won the race but i would say it's season one so
0: you're actually speaking. It is Dan so completely correct with that. Mm. He's basically gate crashing in an interview of yours. Um, in you were in Malaysia, so it was the ah, race, the race after. after. Yeah, and that yeah. was yeah. You were absolutely you were right with the first season there. So yeah, you get two points for that one now. So you've done well for a bonus point, which could see you go. Uh, you could you could rival Brendan. Can you answer me this question? During the 2013 Formula One season, Kimi Raikkonen had to sit out the final two races. Who replaced him at Lotus?
3: Yes, I know. Uh, oh, go on. Uh, Kovalainen.
0: Yes, that
3: is well
0: done. That is, I was really not expecting you'd get that. That was, yeah.
2: Is that top of the well, leaderboard?
0: Well, let me do a cut uh,
3: Because I nearly, I was discussing for that seat back then. I oh, really, uh, were you? Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's
0: what I remember. Oh, a sore memory, perhaps. Sorry to bring that up. Uh, <laughs> right, let me count that up. So that is one, two, three. Got to beat Brendan.
2: Oh.
0: right. Okay, the scores are in. So currently, at the top of the leaderboard is Brendan with twelve and a half points. Bottom of the leaderboard is is Corinne uh, Chantock with three and a half. Yeah, the oh, nightmare. Terrible. Um, and then equal second, third, fourth, and fifth uh, is Oliver Webb, Mark Priestley, Mark Blundell, and Jenny Gout with twelve. And I'm afraid, Sebastian, you come in just under that with 11 points. Oh, it was a good effort. It was a good effort. It was a good effort. Another round of applause. A solid solid sixth place in our leaderboard with 11 points. So that is very respectable, I must say.
2: Well done. You you have successfully passed the hardest quiz in motorsport, the famous yeah. motor mouths. Um, listen, we've got uh, one or two more uh, questions for you. Um, something that I'm intrigued about um, uh, and something I like to ask racing drivers. Who's the best driver you've ever shared a track with?
3: I would say the problem is if you don't drive with the same car, it's difficult to say. But I would say Fernando because I share the same car with him. And I'm I'm able to assess, let's say, uh, a bit better than than racing against someone that is not in the same car than me, you know. But I would uh, I would say Fernando for for many different kind of uh, uh, reasons. But but yeah, I would say him well, to
0: race against Alonso must be pretty pretty epic in any sense, uh, even if you're not in the same team as him. But um, what's the perhaps proudest moment of your career to date? Tough. There's a lot yeah. of things to choose from.
3: Yeah, it's. Difficult because it depends at what stage of your career you. There is three things that comes to my mind. My first race, I would say, in Formula One, where I finished seventh. I had a, a very nice race. Uh, I was quick, able to to pass people. So I would say my first race in F1, or, or maybe my third race in China, where you know I overtook Ferrari. Uh, I think Kimi I overtook Lewis with the McLaren on the wet it was a pretty cute moment. But then, you know, winning Le Mans, winning the championship in Formula E, it's a bit difficult to to choose because it, maybe then Le Mans really, because it was the toughest one to to get. Mm.
2: What are you absolutely rubbish at?
3: Mm. I think, Cooking, I'm not. I'm very. I'm really not good. <laughs> I can just survive, let's say.
0: Do you have a signature dish that you can, you can just about get away with, or is it a, a complete no-go? Uh, Beans on toast.
3: No, I can. I can. I can survive. But let's say uh, when I have my kids and I have to 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 make dinner, I'll go yeah. for the tortellini. So I just warm them up, the <laughs> pasta, and that's it. Because uh, <laughs> I, I can't handle the kids plus the food. Uh, no good. <laughs> Easily done.
0: <laughs> um, what would you say is perhaps the most uncertain part of your racing career so far? Where th- where you weren't sure what, what your next move was?
3: Uh, maybe actually after Formula, I mean, in 2012, maybe just before I got, uh, I got the seat at Toyota, I didn't really know, should I try to go to DTM? I was in touch with DTM. Uh, should I try just to remain a reserve driver for Red Bull for, for one year and see? Should I really push for for work or try to go to IndyCar? I, I had no idea what to do. Really, I was mm. a bit weighing up the the options, and then and then I'm I'm happy because I think what I chose was, was the right decision.
2: Would Would you Would you ever consider IndyCar? I'm I'm a big fan and love the Indy 500. Is that Is that a, a championship you'd ever think about?
3: Yeah, to to, to be honest, I, I like I like Indy 500. I like, I like everything, but. You know, I'm at one point in my career where I'm sharing it with the WEC, Formula E, Formula One, so I have absolutely no time to do something else, which means if I wanted to do that, first of all, I would need to get a seat, which is today not, not so easy, and then I would have to stop everything, and I would have to most likely move to America and somehow it wouldn't be the right thing to do right now with the contracts I have and the family and, and everything. So I'm a fan, but I, I don't see myself in the very near future other than if something big happens, you know, doing that.
2: And, and uh, it's one of our highbrow questions. Um, do you have any, any talents that, that nobody knows about in the public? Can you secretly uh, play the guitar? Are you a wizard on the drums? What what, what are you great at outside of racing cars? Uh, Great! It's a, it's a big
3: it's a big thing. Um, <laughs> no, I, I can ski quite well, let's say, just okay. because I was I was born, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, You're not afraid you of a black just, run. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. I can play ping pong quite well, but mm. you know, other than that, it's it's hard to say. Yeah, uh, well, ping pong—that's that's a
0: challenge in itself. Um, now, Seb, what we normally do is we ask—we have the same three questions that we uh, we ask to everybody at the end of the podcast. And uh, actually, Tim, I've thought of another one that okay. I want to ask. So, a final four, um, and this is off the back of you chatting about IndyCast These are sort of final four questions. If there was, you know, nothing holding you back, what other racing series would you want to race in that you've never really experienced before? And there was, there was, you know, there was a seat on offer, and everything was swimming, going swimmingly. What racing series would you go and race in that you haven't raced in already?
3: Yeah, I would. I would. I think I would do IndyCar just yeah. because I, I know I would be able to to be competitive. I know mm. that. Uh, if it's nothing about results, I would I would try to do rally. You know, oh, okay. where, where I come from, there is a very famous rally, mm. uh, Rally du Valais, and it's uh, in the European Championship, and I've I've been watching it quite a bit and I always thought one day I'm going to try to do it but I want to do it well so I need to obviously uh, practice and, yeah. and, and do the right things but yeah, w- w- without looking at results I, w- I would say rally if I wanted to be competitive I think the only option really would be IndyCar Okay,
0: interesting So Go on Tim, take it away with the next one. Uh, what's got you excited
3: at the moment? Um, I'm, I'm normally going to get a, a new car and uh, Ooh, hopefully I'm going to, uh, I'm going to close it here. So um, I'm going to get an LFA, Lexus LFA. LFA. Very LFA. nice. Yeah. If oh, you, yes. You heard of that? Yes. It's, yeah. it's a pretty old car now, but it's, it's a car I, I, I used to like very much.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah it's an absolute beast it sounds amazing i i used to do yeah, some the work sound is amazing yeah. um i did some work previously with um toyota gazoo racing and um and have worked with lexus as well so i'm very familiar with that car it's an absolute beast <laughs> just so a... I, I
3: had the guy on the phone today trying to close the deal so hopefully i'll get the answer but...
2: what what color are yeah, you going so... for
3: the problem, it's, you know, they're all produced. So it's not the colour I was looking for, but it's, you know, I have to accept some compromises. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a
2: blue. Nice. It's
0: a blue. Not bad, not bad. Well, oh, uh, we'll fingers crossed for that. Um, if you weren't doing what you're doing now in all these racing series and, and race being a racing driver, what would you be doing? Is there another career path you might have taken?
3: Hard to say. Um, maybe I would... I would have tried to, to ski, you know, just because when I was a kid, I, I loved it. And mm. it was quite easy for me to to practice, you know, just because I, I lived like 15 minutes away from the, the slopes. But I think I would just work in the family business. You know, we have a dealership with my parents um, and, and I might be working there. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say because, again... Since I was five years old, somehow my whole life was only about racing, you know? So it's yeah. a bit difficult to think about something else. Oh.
2: And our, our final question for you, um, Sebastian, what are you scared of?
3: Um I'm scared of uh, sharks. I don't know why. You know, oh, I've
0: never shark. been with sharks, and, and the probability to find one. <laughs> is, is normally very we get low. spiders. Uh, sharks. That's a good one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no spiders. No no
3: problem. You know. But uh,
2: sharks.
0: sharks no, no, that's a good one.
3: That's
2: a good one. I think we yeah. we had someone that that said killer whales a while back. It was,
3: a, it
0: was a, I think it was seen through glass. Yeah, uh, Sam from the, seen through glass. Scared of killer yeah. whales. Really random. Wow, sharks. Fair enough. Have you? To come across well, one
3: when i was a kid you know my parents they brought me to a place in nice you know where you can see the sharks you know there's just a glass and yeah. you can- you can basically touch them and and somehow I got really I was maybe six or seven and I remember it very well and I I kind of got scared from there I don't know why
2: (laughs) Scarred for life That
0: that just
2: about brings us to the end Thank you for all your time Um, Great to hear your story Um, Best of luck for the future and I'm sure we'll bump into you in a paddock soon Thank you, thank you guys
0: Thank you so much for listening and giving up your time for us We'll be back with another episode soon If you've missed any of the previous episodes you can take a hot back in your chosen podcast player and find them all there and don't forget there's also loads more content on MMTV and the Motormouth app available to download on any device now uh, and to continue uh, to allow us to help create lots of cool content and to keep making these podcasts we wanted to let you know about our new patron programme and how you can join it just starts from £5 a month to 10 or 20 each tier allows you slightly different levels of access depending on which one you choose you can enjoy early access to podcast episodes exclusive member benefits, merchandise, shout out add your chance to feature on one of our shows any support you can give us is massively appreciated and will help us grow and continue to bring cool content to race fans all over the world just search for us on patreon.com or you can find out all the details across our socials on twitter it's at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and on facebook just search motormouth like subscribe and review if you feel so inclined as well it really helps people to find the podcast but in the meantime from myself and tim we'll catch you next time